the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Becoming a fast fan favorite here, Daniel Gilerter. He is a writer and entrepreneur living in Connecticut. I've known him many years, and he is a contributor to American Greatness. His most recent, right on top of the news, no leaders attended the G7 summit. No leaders attended the G7 summit. The meeting last week in the UK is just a reminder of what happens when we allow actors to take the place of leaders. There is, Dan writes, an increasing dissociation of leaders from leadership, and it should worry us. Dan, welcome back. Thank you. Tell us what you're getting at here. Uh, hi, Seth. Hi. Thanks for having me. You Glad bet. to be back. Thanks. Um, the The problem is one that becomes um, immediately obvious when you take a look at uh, the group of these guys together standing on the beach. But it's really obvious even if you just take a look at Biden by himself. This man has basically no idea what's going on. Uh, he constantly refers to the fact that he's going to get in trouble with his staff if he doesn't, you know, read the questions in the right order or something like that. He needs flashcards. Or takes questions. Yeah, yeah, all right. He's, uh, he's, not, he's clearly not running anything, and he's clearly not competent to run anything. But he doesn't, he doesn't really mind that, because from his perspective, what it's about is, is the glory of being able to say that he's president of the United States. He's not actually doing the job, though, and I don't think very many people are, are fooled into believing he is. Certainly Americans are not, and I think if you look at the way he's treated at this conference by more serious leaders like Putin, who actually are in charge, you can see that he's, uh, he's really mostly disregarded. No one really has any doubts on this score that the president of the United States, so-called, is not the president of the United States, in fact. Do we uh, have that? Um, do we have a working theory? My producer just sent his arm in the air with a fist. He loves what you just said. <laughs> By the way, Dan, if you had a camera in here, you would have liked that. Um, I haven't seen him do that before. Um, Dan, do you have a working theory of who is in charge or what is in charge? Well, I think that um, a lot of people will wonder whether it's uh, Kamala Harris or someone like that. And I think that to an extent, Members of Congress um, are exercising some power. You certainly get that impression when you see, for example, the photograph of Senator Feinstein. I think it was cornering uh, Senator Murkowski as though it was sort of in a high school lunchroom scene, like she was going to take her lunch money and beat her up. Um, but uh, my theory is that we don't we don't actually know uh, the names of the people who are involved. Although the person I think who in Washington probably has the most actual power is whoever it is who's organizing Biden's agenda and controlling who he gets to see and and uh, his, his schedule and, and what he says and what he doesn't. So that's probably the, the most powerful person in Washington. But my worry is that the most powerful person in Washington is really acting essentially under directions from somewhere else, either out of a, um, a philosophical hatred of America, which seems to govern a lot of our elite ruling class, um, or actually out of a, a more or less an alliance with the, uh, the views of 
Leninism and Marxism, which is making a big play these days, coming principally out of China, but other places also. Um, and I really worry that we are uh, mortgaging the future of the country in more ways than one to uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Now, Dan, you uh, were talking to Daniel Galanter. You you write that this isn't just Biden, right? Do I read you right? This this could be true of uh, any number of leaders, perhaps including uh, 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 Boris Johnson, right? Absolutely. I um, you know I, I've I've gone back and forth on Boris Johnson, but not for very long. At the beginning of his career, I thought he was promising. He spoke well. He was well educated. He country, which I regarded as important, um, and. Yet, he seemed to have absolutely no convictions whatsoever, which is very useful in a career politician, uh, because he's been on every side of, of almost every issue. He sounds a lot like the character um, Jim Hacker from the great British TV series, Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister, which <laughs> may be one of the greatest TV shows of all time, um, who, uh, in, in the story of the TV show, which I recommend to absolutely everyone with no reservation, um, this man, uh, this minister, is selected to become prime minister by the civil service because he has no strong opinions, no bright ideas, without the strength of purpose to do or change anything, someone who can be professionally guided, which mm-hmm. is to say manipulated mm-hmm. by the people under technically underneath him. And so they choose him to become technically in charge. Boris Johnson seems very much like that, especially when you see how flimsy he is on what should be basic, fundamental, unalterable democratic principles. You may have done me and my audience a huge favor, Dan, uh, by mentioning this series, Yes, Minister. Um, I was unfamiliar with it, and I just looked it up. Um, <clears throat> um, it turns out this was, this was the series that evidently Margaret Thatcher liked the most. This was her favorite series. Yes. And while all these people are calling me and I'm calling all my peeps saying I'm, I've got nothing else to watch, what do I watch? <laughs> you may have solved this problem. <laughs> Give me a new this series. Is, uh, you gave us one. Yes, Minister. Thank you, Dan. Not, not only is it what you watch, it is lamentably timeless. Oh, good. each episode good. deals with an issue from the 70s or 80s, which is still a ridiculous issue today. Oh, my God. Um, the question of of what we do with uh, third world nations, which we're not allowed to call third world nations. We're placing that with the term less developed countries yeah. and so forth. That was yeah. a joke back then, yeah. but it's an actual fact now. Yeah, you what bet. What to do with the United Nations or the European Union, what to do with bureaucracy in general, the idea of making Europeans carry compulsory identity papers. It's all in there, everything. No kidding. Um, and there's still issues today. Uh, no and it's, it's a very simple, it's a dry series. There are basically only three characters, the minister, his chief civil servant, and his civil service secretary. And, and among those characters, it gives you, sadly, a pretty, I think, accurate picture of the way the British government works. Uh, and unfortunately, increasingly, I think, the way the American government yeah, is beginning yeah. to work. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about, too. This is, this is, this is a um, perhaps question you hadn't contemplated, but perhaps you had... Daniel, we're talking to Dan Galant, her piece at American Greatness. No leaders attended the G7 summit. Boy, we haven't even gotten into the Canadian prime minister, but he's he's such a, a callow fool. I, I'd rather not spend time on him if, if we can avoid it. Let me ask you this, though, Dan. When you outline your article, uh, as you did here, <clears throat> and in the writing of it, there are people who will read it, and I think it can be read 
to say uh, or imply that there is some kind of conspiratorial set of interests that are running the world. We've heard this for well over hundreds of years, right? And we hear it from time to time, particularly when it comes to these kind of summit leaders. But you're not quite saying that, are you? No, I, I'm not conspiratorial uh, by nature. Um, certainly, you've heard, you know, the, 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 of, right? This is not. You're not saying this yes. is some kind of Bilderberg thing. No, I, I, I don't think so. Principally, because I think the people who are involved are much too greedy and greedy and chaotic and stupid mm-hmm. to organize mm-hmm. on a very large scale. Okay. Um, I think that the the people who do the most damage, and I do say this in the article, are really just low tier Republicans local and state-level Republicans who are happy to go along with uh, basic anti-democratic principles, sometimes even helping out uh, Democrats um, by protecting, for example, fraudulent voter practices and things even worse than that, especially in Arizona, I have to say, where some work I've done with the the True the Vote organization is is focused on uh, San Luis and Yuma County. A lot of interesting things going on there, and really it is it is Republican politicians who enable this because uh, they let the Democrats get away with it. And, and so um, I say no conspiracy is going on, just a whole bunch of low-level corruption that's betraying the country at a large scale. And what we need to do is organize and, and take out the low-level corruption. Yes, because that's, that's the other interesting, uh, another interesting part of your piece, I should say, another part, another interesting part of your piece, Dan, is uh, that it does say that the real problem here is not your local Democrats, but your local Republicans. You write, weak and flaccid Republican politicians make Biden possible by cooperating with people who actively hate America. They cooperate out of love of politics. They cooperate out of a desire to keep their jobs, even when their party is not in power. And some, no doubt, cooperate because they get paid to cooperate. Can we pick up a little bit on that on the other side of this break, if I can keep you for another segment, Dan? Absolutely. I would love to. Let's talk about the problem being Republicans, not Democrats, with author and writer Dan Gelernter, his piece at American Greatness Today. No leaders attended the GOP summit. I'm Seth. He's Dan. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm delighted to have Daniel Gelernter with us. He is a writer and entrepreneur living in Connecticut, contributor to American Greatness. His piece, No Leaders Attended the G7 Summit. And what we're talking about uh, is that um, there are there are ideological uh, forces and institutionalizations uh, really in, a, in, in what might call one might even call an administrative state that we have been warned about. For decades, but now maybe here. But the problem at the end, Daniel Galanter tells us, is local Republicans even more so than local Democrats. And I was asking, uh, Dan, if you wouldn't mind uh, expanding on that a little bit. Uh, certainly. Um, I was uh, involved heavily um, in, in looking at, at the election results and how they added up and, and a lot of other interesting things uh, right at the end of the election. That was actually kind of my my reintroduction to politics and political writing, which I hadn't done in several years. That's right. You know, and, that's right. You were on hiatus a little bit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. What I saw was really disturbing, because although there was, in fact, um, evidence 
aplenty in many places, damning and damaging. Um, it was the Republicans who didn't really care too much to hear about it or who were willing to make a, a show of objecting, but not really to put their own political careers on the line. And this happens at every level, but it's, it's really the lower levels uh, which enable bad things to happen at the upper levels, especially uh, at, for the states, because, of course, um, the states under the Constitution get to control their own election laws. They get to decide whether they have um, strict anti-fraud measures in place or whether they have lax anti-fraud measures. It's really entirely up to the state legislators. And um, Republicans in a lot of areas have done a shoddy and lamentable job um, because they're afraid of getting called out by, uh, by corporate America or the media or their colleagues even. And because of the, the basic problem, which I think affects the Republican Party, um, which is that the, the Democrats, at least the current Democrats, are, are philosophically aligned with the concept of politics as a whole. Which is what, I, what I mean is, um, if you're a Democrat, you believe the government should be bigger. The government needs more power, people need less power. That's what you're driving towards. And that's what politics does as a whole also. If you're a politician, you ipso facto love bossing people around. It's, it's really what you live for. You want to gain more power yourself, and so if you want to gain more power for the government, this is a, a perfect, harmonious alignment. But Republicans have this, this problem because, at least today, philosophically, in theory, they should be on the opposite side, opposing the growth of government, not just opposing the growth of government, but trying to make government smaller, less powerful, trying to return power and freedom to the people. But a lot of these Republicans are still at the core politicians who want their own power, their own personal power, and so that grates it. It goes against the grain, and in many, many cases, lamentably many cases, they find it easier to cooperate on, uh, on things, and especially the basic perks of being a politician, with their Democrat colleagues, um, even if it means betraying ordinary Americans. Do you, Dan, think then this is more of an issue of... Um, <clears throat> corruption, self-interest, uh, ideology, idiocy, or do you think that the Republican Party... See, the funny, the, the funny thing is, I don't know if this is true of you. I would say it's true of me. Let, me. let me ask it this way. I would say 50% of the people I talk to, whether they're Republican or not, about 50% of the people I talk to will say Donald Trump is the problem in the Republican Party. And then the other 50% will say, you know, he's the savior of it. But that that rough 50% that say he's the problem, uh, and what say you to them? Because you're coming at it from the opposite point of view. You're coming at it from the other side, the other 50%, which is, by the way, where I am. Yes, I, I am coming from it from the opposite side uh, with the, the caveat that uh, I don't think that Trump is um, irreplaceable. He's almost... Um, because he's so unusual. He, he is a type of, of politician that was virtually non-existent and that we, the people, really never thought had a chance to get elected. And I think the only reason he did get elected was because people didn't realize how serious he was mm -hmm. about all the things he said. They, they didn't realize that he wasn't just talking like a politician. Um, for the people on the other side of the fence who say that Trump is the problem in the uh, Republican Party, I say, do you want America to die? You want America to cease existing completely, uh, because that's the way the Republican Party, the, the other side, the Mitch McConnell Party or the Mitt Romney Party, mm -hmm. that's the way it will go. Mm -hmm. um, they love 
being in politics, but they don't necessarily need to do anything about it. They don't necessarily even need to be in power or the ruling party. They just want to be in Washington. They want the cocktail parties. They want the chauffeured cars. They want all of the importance. They want to be on TV. Everything that comes along with being in politics and being in politics for life. But in terms of, of the basic philosophic principle, which is that the government really shouldn't be involved in every aspect of your life. In fact, it should be involved in as little of your life as possible. They really, they really don't care about that that much. And, and that is what's destroying not only the Republican Party, but America, uh, and more broadly the world. And I would say the, the answer is not to abandon the Republican Party, as some has have suggested. I, I don't think we need a separate party. I don't think we need a Trump party. I think we simply need to to find all the wishy-washy Republicans who are not fundamentally dedicated to limited government and kick them out immediately. <laughs> the, uh, the 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 book that needs to be written is what it means to be a Republican. We've we've done a lot with conservative, and I just think it it's it's. It seems to me that this 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 Republican Party thing has been has been corrupted a lot by by the establishment and by moderates because I think Dan any fair reading of the history of the party um, that takes you know a serious look at its history shows that this is a party that has taken strong positions uh, from. Uh, from the kinds of things the elites constantly tell us is not the Republican Party they knew, right? So we hear that, you know, the Republican Party of today would never be recognized by Barry Goldwater or Ronald Reagan or what have you. And and I just think it's false when you look at the 1856 platform, the very first platform, and you look at the presidents who steered the party uh, famously um, from, you know, everyone from, uh, from Calvin Coolidge to uh, – uh, Reagan uh, to Lincoln before him, y- you see a, a party of strong medicine, a party of strong medicine that was not afraid to get involved in social issues or economic or foreign policy issues. It just wasn't a party of cowardice and small beer. That's all I'm saying. Um, absolutely. Although the um, it, it's it, a lot of the issues uh, fell to the Republican Party um, rather happily um, because of where they were in time and they were able to pick them up, but they weren't afraid to pick them up. And um, we are uh, we are now resolutely in our two-party system with the current two parties. We're not going to have the Whigs and the Federalists anymore. No. It's going to be the Democrats and the Republicans, and I think that's uh, fine. However, if the Democrats stand for something, and they really do, they stand for big government, small freedom. That's their entire platform. The Republicans need to stand for something, too. If the Republicans simply love politics, as many of them do, then we're all done for. Dan Galerter, thank you, sir. Bless you. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Mean old dog is moving in. <laughs> there are mean old dogs in life, aren't there? Water, heat, <laughs> noise. The kinds of things that um, you want, obviously, great roofing and insulation for. And that's why I'm proud to endorse Trades Unlimited for all 
your roofing needs. They're in their 26th year of business here in the Valley and have an A-plus rating at the BBB. I just used them about a week ago, a little less than a week ago. They are fantastic, and I have gotten to meet all of them, including uh, the leadership uh, having gone down to their warehouses and offices. They're just great people with a great work ethic, and uh, they want to tell uh, want me to tell you right now about their expertise and uh, specialization in foam roofs, which are just a great idea for many homes in the valley. And the hot summer sun, by the way, is perfect for foam roof recoating. So protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised with my friends at Trades Unlimited. Don't wait until it's too late. Give them a call. 480-483-1775. That's 480-483-1775. Or find them online at tradesunlimited.com for all your roofing needs. Steve is in Tempe. Hello, Steve. Hello, Seth. How are you? Good. Um, Nice to follow uh George Thorogood and, and the Destroyers into your show. Whatever. Why do we not have more George Thorogood in this world? I don't know. I've seen him on concert. Have you fantastic. really? I have. Long time ago. But it, it was, was it a big venue? Show. He doesn't do huge venues usually, does he? Sometimes. No, it was. It was actually the Mesa Amphitheater. Oh, it was. Yeah, outside. You know, I have a wise guy for a producer, and uh, <laughs> he has. You know, love for everything in this world, except for my music tastes, which he has nothing but dripping contempt for. And he just texted me. We have, oh, brought it back there, Bill. Own your words. He just texted me, as you said, we could use more Thurgood. And I said, why don't we have more of them? And Bill texted me because he has one song. I, that's just cruel. And, oh, ar- and arrogant. It is. He's got more than one song. Of course he does. Bad to the bone. Who do you oh, love? Yeah. One yeah. bourbon, one scotch, one, one Perrier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a good one. He's a good one. And then the song about drinking the Perrier alone. There, that's, like, that's like 10 songs I just said. If you'd like me to play this game, I will. Yeah, I'll play this game. George Thurgood yeah. has one. <laughs> anyway, that's not why you called, brother. What's up? Yeah, no, I like that song too. When I when I when I drink, I, I drink alone. Is that, I think that's the title or, or something along those lines. But uh, that's a good one too. Um, no, that's the reason I call. I I wanted to make the point that that based on the recent comments that uh, Merrick Garland's saying about the fact that the uh, biggest threat to our nation right now, and I think he's he's echoing speech that Biden gave recently is that the uh, biggest threat to our nation right now is, is uh, white supremacists. You know, white supremacy is, uh, is a major threat in this, this insurrection that happened on January 6th and, uh, and, and all the people that were involved in it and everything. I mean, I guess the point I'm trying to make on that is that thank God we blocked that guy from getting out of the Supreme Court after... Um, you know, we, we see what this guy's all about. I mean, it's just crazy what these people are doing. And, um, and Seth, I wanted to also make the point you were talking last week, or I think it was last week, about the fact that Trump was, in fact, correct, that it look, it's looking more and more like the coronavirus originated in Wuhan, in the Wuhan lab, and Trump was right about it. And 
how she wasn't. And, you know, it's um, my theory on that, Seth, and I don't know if you will agree with this or not, but if you recall, when, when, this, when the virus hit China, mainland China, I hear that, here's the music. Can you, can you hold me over? Yeah, can sure I can. Second? Yeah, you want to hold right there? That's good. That's fine. All sure. right, we'll talk. We'll pick up on uh, the lab in China controversy uh, when we come back. I'm Seth Leibson, and we will be right back. Why are we playing Elvis? He only has one song. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. If you are thinking about going solar and saying goodbye to those high utility bills, especially as they're coming in now with this hot, hot sun, Solar Sandy is the way to go. She's the woman who actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. And in some cases, the power bill companies, the power companies will end up owing you money. If you sign up with Solar Sandy right now, she'll pay your power bills for a year and your solar panel payments for one year, and you will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. Great reputation for honesty. I want you to check out her testimonials at AskSolarSandy.com. To reach out to Solar Sandy or get started, go to AskSolarSandy.com or give her a call at 623-850-8229. Right now, if you sign up with her, as I mentioned, a $1,000 bonus at signing and no power bills or solar panel payments for one year, go to AskSolarSandy.com and tell her Seth sent you. Steve, thanks for your patience. You wanted to uh, say something about China, I think? Hey, Seth. Yeah, thank you. You bet. Uh, yeah, I wanted I wanted to get your co- or get your thoughts on what sure. I said about Merrick Garland too. But yeah, re- related to the virus in, in China and how it's coming out that it probably did originate in the Wuhan lab, like we all thought it did. I, you know, I, my personal opinion is when this virus first hit China, and it and and everything was going on. I think it was the fourth quarter of 2019, and it, another incident. Another thing was happening in China, not so much China, but in, in Hong Kong. The protests had ramped up to a, a really fierce level. And I think communist China, the, the CCP, wanted to, and this is just my personal opinion, but I think that, you know, having this virus released and, you know, they wanted to, to you know, what better way of getting the protesters off the streets and back in their homes without bringing in the Tiananmen Square tanks and and guns than have a virus uh, be released and force them to do that. Anyways, that's just my opinion, but I think it, I think it covered. I think I don't I don't think we give the communist Chinese enough credit for being just absolutely diabolically evil. I think they had this planned. I think they allowed their people to get on planes and infect as many people around the world. And especially in the U.S., you don't have to think that. That is, you don't have to think that, Steve. That is a fact. No. That is what happened. They allowed people to not travel through China, but through the yeah. rest of the world. That is a yep. fact. You don't have to be embarrassed about saying it's just a belief. Yeah, yeah. Which at the at the at the which at the most innocent is misfeasance. 
But the question you're raising is whether it was uh, maleficent or malfeasant deliberately uh, done, to which we don't know. And but but to which I, I I have resisted for a long time the notion this has to be ipso facto a conspiracy theory. We have talked. I mean, the first conspiracy theory that we were told about Wuhan, uh, as you say, we don't know it's right or wrong. But every day, more information seems to show that it wasn't not only not a conspiracy theory, but likely the case. Every day we get closer to that to that certainty. Um, we may never get there. We may only get asymptotically close, given the close society and the nature of China, as you revealed it or as you spoke about it, Steve. But, yeah. you know, I can't say it better than John Stewart at this point, quite frankly. I don't know if you saw his yeah. rant about this. The funny thing about that rant, I have a, a more to say. I'll get to it. I just the funny thing about go back and watch it. For those that don't know what I'm talking about, John Stewart was on the Steve Colbert show the other day, uh, two days ago. I think it was 48 hours ago. And Steve Colbert asked him about the virus or Wuhan or whatever in the lab origin story. And John Stewart went off and he was funny to be sure but he went off on steve and every other liberal um for not thinking that the lab is the prime culprit and the funny thing about it was not stewart's routine so much as watch it again go back and watch it steve colbert trying to protect his leftist credentials where he says well tell me you know i i don't know i don't I don't know why you would say that. I mean, he it's a very interesting reaction Steve Colbert has when he says, I just don't know the evidence you're talking about, as if he wants to divorce himself and make sure everyone knows he's not where Jon Stewart is, which, by the way, I thought was passe at this point. I didn't know anyone thought that this was a closed area of discussion anymore. Even Anthony Fauci says we're looking at all possibilities now, which is different from what he said a year ago, but at least even he is saying we're looking at everything now. Um, do I think China delivered? I don't know. I, I put very little past China, and I wonder whatever happened to the anti-proliferation um, uh, society that existed primarily in the left in America and the liberal liberals in America, which taught us about such things as chemical and biological warfare and warned us about such things as chemical and biological warfare. Well, if there is such a thing as biological and chemical warfare, which we have talked about and warned about in other contexts and with other countries, um, how do you think it happens? What does it look like? Any number of ways, to be sure. Um, might it look like this? Might it? Might it look like a country that wanted to do everything it could to peaceably remove the strongest anti-China president in perhaps U.S. history in an election year? Um, might, might that be a potential po – yes, of course it's a potential possibility. Is that my working hypothesis? I don't have one. I don't have one. I, I, I think that's just as likely as the leak, just as likely as it being um, non-volitional, as it being an accident. But either way, it's Chernobyl – times infinite exponents, exponentials, because in, obviously of the death count and the, and the numbers and, and the way the rest of the world reacted economically and socially. But it's the same thing regardless. You have a communist country that is affecting public health, 
beyond the point of them being able to tell the truth or come clean. And that alone, whether it's child slavery that bothers you or Tibet, that alone, that alone should put them on our list. And you know what list I mean. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. It means a ton. If you're listening to this on podcast later, thanks for spending whatever time you designate for us. We really do appreciate it. Winston Churchill famously described Russia as a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. And um, that's the quote people know. The rest of the sentence is often forgotten. He said there is a key, and that key is their national interest. Russia is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma, but perhaps there's a key, and that key is their national interest. I think we can say much the same thing probably about China, could we not? But to the ultimate question as to what they did, I don't know. I don't have any special expertise. But I do know that if you read about China honestly, let's take Amnesty International, shall we? I don't think anyone on the left can, can criticize Amnesty International's leftward credentials. If you go to their China page at amnesty.org, it opens this way. The year was marked by harsh crackdowns on human rights and people perceived to be dissidents, as well as the systematic repression of ethnic minorities. You've heard this country systematically racist. How many people who are willing to call this country systematically racist are willing to quote Amnesty International about China and say that they systematically repress ethnic minorities? When you call us systematically racist, is that what you mean? You mean we systematically repress ethnic minorities? No, we don't mean that. Okay, good, because that's China. Do you have something to say about that? Let me keep going. Stringent restrictions on freedom of expression continued unabated. Foreign journalists face detention. Chinese and other tech firms operating outside of China blocked what the government deemed politically sensitive. Sounds like Facebook. And, of course, um, of course, clampdowns on all kinds of freedom advocates in autonomous regions. For a country that would do that to its own people, what do you think it would do to an enemy? I'll leave it there. I'm Seth Leibson until tomorrow. God bless you all, and class dismissed.